Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. So you can not enjoy somebody and not even, uh, you know, want to talk to them. But hey, maybe don't get in a fist fight with them. That doesn't make any sense. No. So, I mean, what you're saying, though, is instead of fist fighting people, you could jump them from behind with a baseball bat. I guess. Is this some weird segue that I'm not picking up on? No. I I, I just don't know what conversation you guys are having. Uh, CM Punk got another backstage fight over the weekend at the big pay-per-view in London. What? So A notoriously egotistical wrestling diva? Right. This time it's with uh, Luke Perry's son, so you don't fuck with uh, Dylan like that. Oh, yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's just a big mess because legitimately, well, I mean, as legitimately as you you were told, um, it was like the biggest, largest paying crowd in wrestling history over the weekend. And now, of course, anything anybody's talking about is uh, the stupid fistfight CM Punk got into. Really? They, they beat out the WrestleManias? Yeah. But yeah, you, have to, you have to throw the qualifier in there, the largest paying audience. Because some of the WrestleManias are always like, oh, we had like 90,000 people. But like, you know, like 10,000 of that is not paying customers or whatever. However they qualify it. That's that's weird. But they legitimately sold like almost eighty two thousand tickets for Wembley Stadium. So Margo <laughs> Stop Stop it Baxter You did, you pooped in the refrigerator and you ate a whole wheel of cheese. That's a transition I can get. Is it? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what it means. What's from Anchorman? Yeah, Anchorman. No, oh. now I got you. I was completely lost. I was like, "What the fuck is that from?" No. Did you hey. throw a burrito out of your window, man? <laughs> don't go out there and bark. You destroyed bark. my hog, my wizard, my little princess that I love. <laughs> yeah, and the people keep fucking dying and wrestling too this week. Jesus Christ. I'm assuming you're talking about Bob Barker. Well, the greatest, technically, the greatest I guess, of all wrestlers. Technically, that would be the third one because he did show up on an episode of Monday Night Raw before. He did. I mean, I guess that's not really surprising. But it's when they were doing the Raw guest hosts or whatever, and uh, Bob Barker was one of it, and they played like a Price Is Right, and of course Chris Jericho was being a whiny bitch the whole time, so. 
Bob Barker, like, he got up in Bob Barker's face, and Bob Barker was like, go ahead, go ahead. What are you going to do about it, Chris? And I'm just like, oh, this is great. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and Terry Funk died, which is a bummer. Yeah. Listen, there are deaths in this world that, like, we should all gnash our teeth and, and weep and be sad that somebody was yeah. taken too soon. Terry Funk living this long <laughs> is ridiculous. It is kind of a miracle. Yeah. That dude should have been dead at 35. Like, there is no reason he should have lived to be an old man. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, then uh, Bray Wyatt died. He was only yeah. 36. So, so you know, that's sad. Yeah. Apparently, he got COVID earlier this year and had heart problems afterwards, and he died of a heart attack. Yeah, apparently, his heart condition existed before, but COVID made it way worse, which is yeah. a fun new twist that I didn't know COVID could do. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Apparently, he went up. He's like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap, but then never went and never woke up. I heard that he had some kind of medical device that he was supposed to wear when he slept and that he either forgot or whatever just wasn't yeah. wearing it yeah so he had had a, like a doctor's appointment earlier in the day and they're like you should really be wearing this heart monitor and he didn't take it in with him from the car when they got home so yeah. but I mean if it's just a monitor I'm not sure what that does for a heart like if you have a massive heart attack that kills you especially in your sleep like yeah. I don't if, if it's your heart's being monitored like so what they find you sooner. I don't. I don't know if there's much you can do yeah. about that. Um, maybe. Maybe it's got like a panic alarm on it or something to notify somebody. Well, maybe. Or Well, no, I'm sad. Yeah, it's just been a bummer of a week for wrestling fans. Thanks, thanks for bringing all that up, Brian. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, who's going to well, come around to cut off all of our pets' balls? <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I don't, know. I don't know if there's anything else I was going to bring up. Um, Speaking of characters that are random rednecks from the woods. Well, I was going to go with more uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, stuff that uh, some people think is not a lot of fun. I was going to say, Doug, why don't you tell us about Next of Kin from 1980? We didn't watch it. Next Kin from 82. 82. <laughs> you know it, what I meant. Is, no, I don't. Because was like, <laughs> for a while, I'm like, no, I, did I watch the wrong one? I was getting ready to say, called fuck, did I, did I watch the, the third Next of Kin from the 80s? <sighs> Doug, tell us about the Aussie one. All right. So, Australian movie. Uh, chick is returning to her hometown after her mother's death and she's inherited an old folks home which is a weird thing to inherit um right. so she just like it's weird because she, her mom like ran it so she just like inherited also the job of running it <laughs> it's, it's she's like funny. the will's like congratulations this is your problem now yeah like it's, it's it, i don't know i don't know australian laws but i'm like it feels like you would just get the land and building but the business would be functioning on its own but that doesn't matter um, lots of weird shit starts happening. There's a dead guy in a bathtub, stuff like that. She's reading her mom's journals and she's starting to think that something suspicious might be going on. And then there's a long time where we like, she like 
meets her old boyfriend and they do that weird thing where in movies people who haven't seen each other in years are still dating even though they've been <laughs> separated for years um and eventually she figures out that it's like a conspiracy and that the one woman that works there is actually her aunt who her mother had committed to a home and therefore the aunt is now killing people is that right because i had a little trouble following it to be totally honest i don't know i was like wow doug i think paid more attention than i did i had i had a really hard time staying engaged with this movie yeah i could see that i didn't really have trouble staying engaged in it. i just didn't necessarily think it was doing a very great job of explaining itself no um it's very much more of like a mood movie yeah like the story, meh, who cares? But tries to set up like an atmosphere throughout it. Doesn't. I wouldn't say it's successful through the entire movie. There's some cool elements that do pop up at some point. But there is a lot of problems with it, too. Yeah, I think the atmosphere works for a while. But the reveal of what's going on is just a little too late in the film. Yeah, and so like all of the sort of more actiony stuff is compressed to the very end of the movie, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a problem. Yeah, the last twenty yeah. minutes or so is kind of interesting. But yeah, I was going to say the like, last fifteen's a slasher movie. Yeah, and if like if that had just started earlier, I think I'd be a lot more okay with it. I find the other thing is, um, other than the main girl and like a couple of the other people around the home. It felt like every character was just there so that she'd have someone to run to at the end. You know what I mean? Like the weird boyfriend character. It's like, why did, why was he in this movie, really? You know what I mean? Like he's, he didn't play a role plot-wise. She just kept going to him to complain about the weird shit in her house. And yeah, I couldn't remember. Like, I may have zoned out, but is there even any conflict between them? Like... Was it like, oh, we broke up, and now you're back? No. And no. There's a, there's, this movie, it has very little to offer. Yeah, right? It, the, the, the big conflict in this is that somewhere while she was gone, he's lost his driver's license, presumably for drinking and driving. And uh, <laughs> when, when he comes to pick her up for a date, he has to get somebody else to drive them like they're teenagers. And she doesn't like the girl that he got to drive them. That's the big conflict. It's such a weird thing to insert in the movie randomly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this movie, it starts kind of weird. And then it's mostly kind of a shitty haunted house movie, I guess. Yeah. Because they're trying that they're like they're trying to convince you that either there is somebody messing with her or there's something supernatural going on. But the the supernatural things are like, oh, my God, they turned on the sinks. Ooh. Well, I think the the reason that is is so that at the end when it's revealed that it's not supernatural, you're not going back and saying, hey, how the hell did they do that? You know, it's all stuff that they could have done. Yeah, but even then, it's like, okay, so somebody, they they fucked with her by just turning on the sinks? Like, that was their big plan? I'm going to turn on the sinks? If you thought you were alone in the house and all the sinks and stuff started overflowing, that would fuck with you. Shut off all the lights in the building. Yeah. Plus, they murdered that old man and then claimed he drowned. Mm -hmm. See, I thought that's what this movie was going to be after they find the dude dead in the bathtub. I was like, oh, cool. It's going to be this. uh, Are these old people getting murdered or are they just dying because they're old movie with this creepy 
theme of like decay and falling apart and dying. And then it was yeah. like, oh, nope, nope, it's not that. It's just a shitty other thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I, the thing about this movie is there's good sequences. Like when that guy is getting into the bathtub and he accidentally steps on the dead guy, <laughs> that's pretty cool. When she has the weird nightmare about the dead guy like floating in water outside her window, like the visuals of that are all neat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and I didn't, like, I kind of enjoyed the stuff where, like, there would just be water running occasionally and stuff. And I I really wanted to enjoy the parts where she was, like, investigating, trying to figure out what was going on. But I just don't think they were executed that well, so it was hard to follow. Yeah. Like, like, there's a scene in this movie where she's, like, she's reading her mom's diary, her deceased mom's diary. And she's got, like, the official, like, records from the home. And what she's figuring out is that the the way the mom is describing these people dying is not the same as the official causes of death listed in the records. But the way it's done, like I, I actually rewound it and watched it again to figure out that's what's going on. And it's like, well, that's it, this isn't the kind of movie where you're supposed to have to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I should have been able to follow that better, and it's just not executed very well. And some of that might be cultural stuff. Like with this being an Australian film and being from so long ago. Yeah, I was going to say the the thing that raises this. So I think I would be less pissed off about this movie being bad if it wasn't Australian, because in general, low budget Australian movies, especially ones from like the 70s and 80s, are all almost universally fucking awesome. Well, this wasn't trying to be what many of those other movies are. There are plenty of slow burn Australian horror films as well. And that's what this was trying to be. The ones you like are all, you know, crazy ones. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yes. Yeah. There's some cool scenes though. Like, uh, like we were talking about sort of all the craziness at the end. But when her when she goes into the house and her dead boyfriend comes, you know, flying out in a wheelchair. Yep. And then she goes running up the stairs and like, you know, grabs that guy to go in the ro- go back into his room so she can send him out like on the fire escape or whatever. Yeah. The scene of her running back to shut the door and you hear someone running down the hall as she slams the door just before yeah. they get there and you never see who it is and she's holding it closed and someone's banging on the door and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's done really well. Yeah, I think a lot of the those moments are executed well. I just think I wish there was more of them throughout. Like, oh, totally. Like There's, there should be more throughout, and there should be like a crescendo where they get worse and worse and worse, building up to that big end. Yeah. yeah, There's that cool scene with the the person with their throat slit in the uh, the fountain. Yeah, and so the fountain starts cycling that blood. That's super fun. What about when she stabs the the person's like yep. looking at her through the. Uh, keyhole and she stabs it right in the eyeball yeah, that it's, part's cool the, like but, I, there's a lot of really neat moments in this movie i, I have trouble I mean, hating it the way noah clearly hates it because there's so many cool moments yeah but all of that happens in the course of five minutes mm, yeah agreed yeah, we're, we're talking about one very brief period and after all that happens the movie immediately comes to a screeching halt again and we watch a fucking seven minute scene of her building a stack of sugar cubes <laughs> that is that is kind of weird yeah like i saw the pictures of her stacking sugar cubes like when i was just like googling for images of this movie 
And I'm like, okay, so this is like going to be like a psychological thriller and they're going to drive her insane. But that's not really in the movie. <laughs> just, I don't really know why she was stacking those sugar cubes. Because like, she drives away from the home and goes back to the diner that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere that we yeah. see in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And she's hanging out with a little kid and she's just randomly stacking sugar cubes. Nobody's saying anything and it goes on forever. Yeah, it goes on for a long time. And then the action comes back because the dude drives the van through the front of the store. Awesome. And then the cool kid scene. shoots him. Like, and, that, and then the movie's over. Well, the kid shoots the van. It starts leaking gas. And then she grabs the gun and shoots him. And you just get a brief shot of his head exploding, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then the they kind of just waddle off up. into the darkness while the yeah. place explodes. Oh, come on. That's pretty badass watching the place burn down behind them and they're just walking away. But doesn't that kid's dad own that diner? Yeah. Where the fuck is he at? I don't know. I don't know. Why is... Look, at the beginning of the movie when the kid, like, goes into the diner and the dad just starts barking orders at him, like this child's full-time career is working at his dad's diner, Mm. I was like, that seems inappropriate. But then when it's the middle of the night and she goes running to the diner and the kid's just there alone, like, apparently he does the night clean by himself or whatever, like... Well, he's even wearing pajamas in there, and he's playing the pinball machine. <laughs> he's like, like, do they live upstairs? It's never established. Maybe they live on the premises as well, and he like sneaks in to use the video games. But, but the kid just jumps in her truck, and then they just drive off together yeah. while the thing burns down. So Nobody maybe cares because well, maybe his dad died in the fire. So they just <laughs> it's implied that she's adopting him. That's how Australian law works. I don't know if you know that. If you burn a building upset down, about it. <laughs> well. Dad kept yelling at him to bring people hamburgers. Uh, so did you hear about this movie from the same place I did, which is the uh, Not Quite Hollywood documentary? Uh, I guess, yeah. I don't remember it from that. Yeah. Well, it's the one that uh, Tarantino way overhypes and claims this movie is like the Australian version of The Shining, and it's maybe even a better movie than The Shining. Okay, well, fuck, so then fuck I, Quentin Tarantino. So then I wanted to see this so bad, and it was completely unavailable. And, you know, I found a copy on YouTube buried, like, you know, you have to do a lot of searching to find it. Finally watched it, and I'm just like, what the fuck? And I was like, that's when I, I think that's when I was starting to be like, Tarantino's full of shit. Yeah, I mean. Started, okay. started my downward spiral with Tarantino. Let's not go there again, because we don't need to spend another hour talking about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, foot looking weirdo. It's all right. Let's get let's get back to this movie. No, it's it it is trying to be in that realm of the Shining or the Changeling. It's trying to do that, um, but it's it's just not capable of being that. And I think like like all the parts we're talking about that we like tend to be when it shifts away from that and tends to be more of just a typical Australian exploitation film that we all love and that everyone should. So yeah, like I again I, I certainly didn't hate it the way Noah seems to hate it and the way I knew he would while I was watching it. But it <laughs> it, it feels like there's just there's not enough build up to that ending and the ending doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie and the rest of the movie the execution is kind of not all there there's some issues with it and there i don't know there, there's times too where and 
And part of this might be the cultural issue of it being from another country, but I don't know if they're trying to be funny or not in certain moments. So I'm never quite sure. Mm -hmm. The biggest one being when they go to like, because the, the boyfriend character is a firefighter and they're having their annual firefighters meeting and they get there and the guy's like lecturing them about safety and professionalism and they're all just hammered in the crowd. And I have no idea if that's a joke or if they're just Australians. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like if it's a joke, it's not really executed well and it makes no sense in the context of the film, but it's, if they're just Australians, then certainly don't have a fire in Australia. <laughs> Maybe that's why that kid wasn't shocked when his when his diner burned down. He's just like, whatever, this shit happens all the time. If you met our firefighters, they're always hammered. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. It's got an interesting, like dreamy sort of quality to the beginning of it. Yeah. But like we said, it just I don't know. It doesn't uh doesn't really follow it just doesn't have anything really worth watching until really until we get towards the end like there's some stuff in the middle that's pretty interesting but i mean it's really there's nothing that's like oh shit shit's going down until the last 20 minutes which is unfortunate yeah i just think it needed a little bit more of what it did well a few more a few more stumbling across dead bodies a few more mm-hmm. like oh how did this old guy die? Is it really what they said? And yeah, you know, and another thing with this movie is pretty much every death we see is off screen. Yeah. Like it's people discovering bodies and stuff, which all in itself doesn't have to be bad, but with all the other problems in this movie, it just doesn't sort of lend itself to an interesting watch. Yeah. And I think part of the issue too, is the nature of the mystery is like, I never, why did we give a shit about the Aunt Rita character? Like she's ends up being the one doing a lot of the killing her and like her son, I guess. And it's like, I don't care. Like that was never a character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, re- it reminded me of the end of mother's day that we talked about recently where it's just like this. Oh no, it's this character that's come back. And it's like, it's a character that was important to the characters in the movie, but not to us as an audience. Yeah. It's the same so I think she's here. mentioned like once or twice throughout the movie. Yeah. And there is this like weird controversy of like where did she go because some people thought she died but other people thought she just moved away and it turns out she was in this mental institution or whatever and it's like okay mm-hmm. but you you have to make that then the primary mystery and have us following that as an audience for me to give a shit yeah so like I just in my head I just kind of figured she was going to be one of the victims of whoever was doing whatever wrong. It never occurred to me that it, it just didn't occur to me that she would be so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she would have been like the first victim or something started like, you know, years ago and nobody realized it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I watched it on shutter. I think it's on Tubi. Did you watch it on Tubi Noah? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want, go watch it for yourself. Decide for yourself. If it's, worth yeah. watching. it's it's available many places for free. I think there are still copies floating around on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Noah, I know you just finished watching uh, Next of Kin. Yeah. With uh, Patrick Swayze and Liam Neeson and Bill Paxton. Give us a Liam Neeson's <laughs> token token two. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So Patrick Swayze is uh, a redneck cop. Uh, although I suppose the preferred term is hillbilly in this movie. <laughs> uh, it's beyond but, redneck. It's like yeah. backwoods Appalachian type redneck. You know? Yeah. Although they're just from Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> is that where they're I've, from? Been, I've been to Kentucky. It's pretty boring. Yeah, but there's some pretty small towns there. Yeah. Uh, his brother is Bill Paxton. Fuck yeah. Uh, uh, Bill Paxton dies in a, uh, a mob hit, which isn't oh, even no. supposed to be a mob hit. Uh, then them rednecks is like, we're going to get revenge. And it turns out his older brother is, is fucking Liam Neeson. <laughs> Dude, Who has the most muddled accent in the entire movie? Yeah, it's Fuck real. It. It's real awkward. I like it a lot. I like I was. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you listen to it. And you're like. What accent are you trying to do? It's, I mean, can, it's also a weird decision speaks. in the movie of they're like, okay, the character of Briar is constantly going to be dirty. Yes. <laughs> well, he's. I think the idea is that everyone from the all the hillbillies are constantly dirty. No, no, all the all the hillbillies are not super clean. Briar constantly has like weird smudges and things on his clothes. <laughs> I'm imagining him walking out of the shower and he's still covered in like grease and right dirt and stuff. To be fair, they did mention that his trailer is constantly dirty, hasn't been cleaned since the last time Patrick Swayze visited it. So Yeah. Yeah. But so Patrick Swayze's character is trying to do things the right way and solve the murder and get the guy to the cops. The rednecks is like, no, we're gonna kill this guy. Uh, it turns out another mobster uses the opportunity to murder his mob Don's son, who is a weirdly young Ben Stiller. <laughs> Which is not a name I expected to see in the opening credits of this nope. movie. <laughs> Did we mention that Helen Hunt's the wife? This this movie got too many fucking people in it. It's, the cast is like mind boggling. When I turned it on, and oh. I'm like, I knew Liam Neeson and Patrick Swayze, but that's all I remembered because I haven't seen this movie since 1990. <laughs> and it was like. Holy shit, look at all these names popping up. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Stiller, Helen Hunt, Adam Baldwin is the the main mob guy that we were sort of following. Like he's like he starts out as like the you know, the first in command, but then when, you know, the Ben Stiller son wants to come in, he kind of pushes him out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So basically this is just a movie. It's it's a family it's it's basically a Hatfield versus McCoy movie told as a crime drama with rednecks and mafiosas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what I thought this movie was. Like, I've seen the cover forever and it's just Patrick Swayze and like a not even really like a cowboy hat, more of a... One of them floppy yeah, like fish a, and hat type things. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like, oh, is this like a western or something? Probably like an old timey like we live up in the mountains in a cabin type of movie. That's why, and I never looked up like a product, like a description or anything. Literally had no idea what this just, movie was you about. Just, you went from 1989 until now and refused to watch this movie because of his hat. That's what it comes. I even to. refused. I just never had a chance to watch it. Never had an excuse to. Look at that. Hat. So imagine my surprise when I start the movie and it's fucking downtown Chicago and he's chasing fucking perps or whatever, and I'm just like, wait, what the fuck is happening? Oh uh, yeah. 
Yeah, finding out it was Hillbillies versus Mobsters made me very happy. Yeah. I was like, I would have watched this a long time ago if I knew that's what the movie was. I mean, the plot the plot's kind of predictable. You know, the the yeah. Patrick Swayze's character is just trying to he's trying to do things the right way until Liam Neeson's character also gets killed in a trap set by the mobster guys, and then he's like, Well, two brothers dead is too much. <laughs> Hands his badge off to another cop and is like, I quit. Yeah, and then of course we've got the army of rednecks who show up at the end to do battle. Which I loved. Mm-hmm. We should point out Michael Pollard's in this too. Yeah, plays the guy that runs the like flop house where all the rednecks live yeah. when they have to come to Chicago for work. <laughs> I still I still think it's fucked up. In a in a movie filled with all of these random famous and pseudo famous people, the person who like I lost my mind over was Leo, who's one of the random background gangsters who gets beat up occasionally. And it's the the leader of the orphan gang from the Warriors. <laughs> Mm. I had a hard time watching significant portions of this movie because every time he would pop up on the screen, I'd be like, you see what you get, Warriors? (laughs) (laughs) That's a flaw in you, not a flaw in the movie. (laughs) I wouldn't even count that as a flaw. Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean by flaw. Mm. Uh, So what do you think of this movie, Noah? It's, It's all right. I, I think the parts where it's being fun, it's very, very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a couple moments where they try to pretend this movie's way deeper and more dramatic than than it has any right to pretend to be. See, I sure. this is going to shock everyone listening, but I actually completely disagree with Noah. <laughs> I, I really like this movie. And I think what I like about it is that it is paced as a drama film and not like if, if you took the same script and gave it to a different director, I think this would just be a dumb 80s action movie with everything being up over the top and exciting. I like that it's done as a crime drama and that it is about these two families. I like the juxtaposition of like, you know, you've got the feuding brothers on both sides, basically. You've got the mobster and then. Like the, the Adam Baldwin character and the Ben Stiller character are, are butting heads, but so are the Patrick Swayze character and the Liam Neeson character. You know, like no, it's it's not really deep. It's it, but it's really well executed, and I think the drama works really well. I think they do a great job of toning it down so that it's not it like. <laughs> yeah, it does. You just See, don't I, like it when there's a character where nobody like you can't handle any scene of anyone having a conversation in a movie. So no, I once again I like conversations. I like character development. I I actually like pretty dry drama stuff as long as the story is engaging. My complaint is whenever it's people talking about nonsense and doing nothing. Like this this movie is great. I don't understand the weird moments like they where they tried to establish uh, Patrick Swayze's character at the beginning of the movie by having him have that conversation with the random rednecky guy. And he's like, you know, you, I know you want to die and go out to blaze of glory, but you should let me take you in like two men. <laughs> well, they're they're trying to establish that his character is kind of torn between these two worlds he's the you know the hillbilly who's moved to the city and has adapted this new life but he still has a connection with these people i get it the hat the hat was enough 
Okay, yeah, they got that across. But no, what? I, no, my problem is, it's like there's the so as they're walking out, that cop that cop tries to like assault the guy, and Patrick Swayze has to have his moment. Of, Don't you touch my prisoner? Yeah, fucking moment. But uh, so another issue I have with these movies is movies trying to pretend that Patrick Swayze's a badass when he is not. Like, don't get me wrong, he's he's a very muscular guy, and he can come off as, yeah, he can punch you and knock you out or whatever. That's that's fine. But whenever he tries to deliver a line like that, and he tries to sound angry, it also sounds like he could burst into tears at any moment, just because he it kind of exudes a certain level of sensitivity that does not befit a badass character. But in this particular case, he is being sensitive, right? He's the one that wanted to de-escalate the situation and bring the guy in peacefully and calmly when the other cops were ready to go in blazing, right? That is who he is in this movie. So to suggest that it's not supposed to come through in his performance is a little bit strange. Well, but I'm saying it always comes through in his performance. I don't okay. think that is performance. I think about- that's Patrick Swayze. Okay, all right. But it suits this movie just fine. Like, that just means you're complimenting the casting director. Sure. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That didn't bother me at all in this movie. Yeah, like, uh, there are, I think, some issues at the beginning of the movie where it's very 1980s. Like, it has those very cliche moments that Noah's talking about. And some of the editing is very much, like, just cut from scene to scene to scene. And you're like, okay, I get it. You're trying to introduce us to all these different aspects of the film but it doesn't flow together very well there are some minor issues but once the movie gets going which is around the time that bill paxton is like killed or even really just the time he shows up on screen because you get those few minutes of just bill paxton the movie yeah, i was gonna say second great. second complaint not enough bill paxton in this yeah. movie. he dies too fast i'll agree with that it was because he was like super likable in the movie too I just mm-hmm. the way he like he was just like trying to like fend off both brothers. They were they're both just like Patrick Swayze's hassling him, trying to get him to like permanently move to the city. And Liam Neeson's trying to get him to move home, and he's like, "Would you both just shut up? Just let me do my thing. I, I can I can make my own decision." There is a really nitpicky complaint I have about the film where he's when he's giving that speech to Patrick Swayze about how like I'm an adult, I can make my own decisions, like I appreciate you looking out for me, but you don't need to like constantly do this, is he starts using the example of like I feel like one of those little countries that's torn between two superpowers and you both act like you're tra- and I'm like, that is not an analogy that this character should be making. <laughs> like, I see what you're saying, but there's a better way for you to express that. It just it just didn't suit yeah. him at all and it's you know, not his fault. It's not the performance. It's the script. But man, it, it really stood out. You make me feel like the geopolitical consequences of the Crimean War. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's. Uh... There's there is some weird moments where they go back home for Bill Paxton's funeral, mm-hmm. and apparently none of his family has met his wife. No, because they would never come to the city to meet her, and he doesn't go home anymore because he's a city guy now. 
That's the whole, like that's the whole conflict between them, right? That's the big conflict. Yeah, I know, but that's kind of dumb. Because there's even that moment where well, he, no, not entirely. I th- I think the whole idea isn't that he's snubbing them; it's that he's not welcome anymore. He moved to the city and got tainted and became yeah. a city person. Yeah, but that's kind of a dumb reason. Well, yeah. there, you see, it's except like you're in the big city. We I don't, don't need your kind around here no more. I was going to say, but here's the problem. I grew up in a small town and not some dirty backwater psycho small town, but a normal shitty small town. And they behave that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like it was pretty accurate to the way some people are. I don't, you know, I don't want to paint any particular group with it with one brush, but it's, it felt very much like, yeah, he's not really welcome there. He's not necessarily that interested in going back. He still cares about his family, but you know, he's a city guy now. He lives in the nice house, and his wife's a yeah. whatever she's like a plays violin and like a, a violin teacher. You know what I mean? Like, all, like he's moved on to a different life, and they're just apart yeah. now. And yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like flimsy excuses for me, but I mean, if you guys are into it, then I'll concede. Yeah, I, I, I just that's for, more of a me problem, I guess. Yeah, for me, I, I just think it's the way certain people are when you when you change and try to become something different. The people you leave behind aren't necessarily wanting you back, and you don't feel comfortable going back because you're not the person that was there anymore. Yeah, I guess the beginning of the film, I didn't get the sense that. Uh, he was like estranged from his family because he's still like hanging out with Bill Paxton and he's trying to convince him to move the city and stuff. But yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. But there's the whole line of when they get off the train and he tells her, you need to hang back for a second. They don't like strangers. And she says, but I'm your wife. And he said, no, I'm the stranger. Yeah. No. Well, I thought he was being just melodramatic at that point. So I guess I didn't <laughs> take that seriously. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Because there is even, like, the grandfather character has to, like, tell him and Briar to shake hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they don't even they don't even really want to acknowledge each other. Like, that's... Briar obviously takes him leaving a lot more seriously than everybody else does. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, I do, like, uh, Michael Pollard has, like, an emergency phone number. And after Briar dies, he gives it calls him. He's like, yeah, I was... Told to call you if something bad happened to Briar. <laughs> he's all these love, fucking hillbillies, just like I love. All right, let's that, get the truck. I was getting ready to say that very short but delightful montage of the rednecks preparing to go to war is pretty delightful. It's like the one guy's like, "Well, I guess I got to put my snake back in the cage." <laughs> I like when that guy keeps offering everybody rides, and nobody will get in his truck with him because it's full of snakes. fucking snake truck that whole that whole montage is great though like they're all like just like arming up and like getting ready and getting to to go and like the women folk are just like there to see them off it's like i mean i don't know it's a little over the top but not by 1989 standards here's here's the problem once again coming from a small shithole just fucking nightmare of a town that scene of them all loading up their guns and you see like three people in the background like who are carrying bows and arrows and hatchets and weird shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they all clearly have guns. I'm telling you right now, 
that's what the people of my town would do. If we were like, come on, everybody, we've got to go fight off the, I, I don't know what things they hate. The not white people that are trying to move into the neighborhood or something. <laughs> well, I would assume this time you'd be like, it's fucking Italians in Chicago. And they're yeah. like, all right. Yeah, they would, uh, I, I can just imagine. I mean, I know the person who would go and grab a crossbow and be like, yeah, I've been wanting to fucking use this crossbow forever. <laughs> I like that they all have animal calls to each other when they're yep. all like in the graveyard and stuff. Super fun. Like that that final battle scene, everything about it is great. They're all just like running around the uh, the graveyard. Mm-hmm. It's like crossbows versus Tommy guns. Like they're using the most stereotypical <laughs> <Yeah>. weapons possible. <laughs> and then they're just they're blasted away at everything. And you know, of course, like it's the Patrick Swayze versus Adam Baldwin is going to be the fight at the end. <laughs> I kind of dug the ending, like where the uh, the head of the mafia family finally takes out the Adam Baldwin character, and he just like turns to the other guy and he's like, "Now it's done between our families, right?" I I really like that. I like that they didn't they didn't lean too heavy on either side being the good guys or the bad guys, despite the fact that you know one side is the mafia and one side has a police officer on it. <laughs> Yeah, they both kind of understood where each other was coming from, and it's like, look, the guy we were both after is now done, so like, we're cool, right? Yeah, like, that guy was the problem. He's the one that escalated all this violence and started all these problems. We get rid of him, the rest of us are all cool with each other, right? (laughs) It is a little weird with how star-powerful this movie is, that the Baldwin that's involved is the second most forgettable of the Baldwins. He's the best Baldwin, by far. I don't think he's an official Baldwin, is he? I don't know. I don't care. He's still the best one. <laughs> me and me and uh, the Drunken Zombie guys always referred to him as America's backup Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I just, Unfortunately, he's a giant Trumper in real life, so he's a giant piece of shit. I just like that he keeps showing up in things that we were talking about lately, and it's... I always hear that term, like, working actor, and I never know what it means, and then I take a guy like that who I liked in one thing, and then all of a sudden, as I go back and watch these other weird movies from the 80s, he's just in them all. So it's like, oh, all right. That's what working actor means. You just had all of these roles in all of these movies, but I didn't know who you were back then. <laughs> he, uh, he is from w- Whittaker, Illinois. Oh. So he probably did move to Chicago if he wanted to be in the mafia. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, in late 2015, Baldwin endorsed Ted Cruz for president. Don't, it doesn't matter. He's, That's not relevant he's, to the movie. He's obviously very smart. That's not relevant to the discussion of this movie. What about... I wasn't even going to bring up like more political stuff until I saw he endorsed Ted well, Cruz. Why are you even looking that up? Don't look that up. Quit ruining things for yourself. And no, I was looking it up. For the rest of us. Is I there... was looking him up to see if he was an official Baldwin. There's no listing that not he a, is. So. I was going to say, is there a single person with the last name Baldwin that isn't kind of a terrible person. No, we don't need to talk about this. Let's go back to talking about the movie. We're trying to ruin Billy, everything. I don't think Billy Baldwin's bad. <sighs> Maybe. What about how cool it was when Liam Neeson gets to town and we realize he's just this like super efficient like killer who can like solve crimes and cl- he's always ready to like just do violence and that he's he- some kind of shotgun parkour ninja. Yep. <laughs> I loved it. I love when they attacked him in his room and he just like hops out the window and scurries up the 
uh, fire escape. All that stuff was fun. What about when he started jumping onto like moving trains? I was like, going to say, yeah. he does that have fun. Like, you don't realize it in a lot of movies, but this one really shows it off that Liam Neeson is a fucking nightmare orangutan man. <laughs> his, his arms and legs are too fucking long. No, yeah, they are. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's great if you're trying to escape from the mafia up a fire escape on the side of a building. It's really or, or collect a fruit from a very high tree. Yeah, anything like that. Um, <laughs> apparently, leaping onto trains is helpful too. So, the trains that have the ridiculously flat surface designed for landing on so that you don't fall off of it. I don't know if that's what trains in Chicago actually look like or not, but if they are, then that's just tempting people to jump on them. Uh, no, they do not. Although I guess I can't confirm for 1989. I wasn't yeah. there then. If, if they're not, then I'll compliment the movie in its detail because all of the cars had... I actually checked and all the train cars had that same flat roof that he lands on so they didn't just put it on the one car for him to land on the way they would have in a a movie where they were being less cautious <laughs> so but I man I, when he was running around the city and just like the idea is he's using his redneck hunting skills to hunt mobsters now which doesn't really mm-hmm. translate that well when you actually put too much thought into it but um I loved watching him run around that city and take people out. I loved when he went into that bar to buy a gun off the bartender, and the bartender's like, we don't keep a gun here, and he just, like, pushes him out of the way and takes his gun. <laughs> Puts money in his shirt. Yeah. It's like, we're good. It's funny. I did like him busting into the mob, uh, I don't know what you call it, headquarters or whatever. Yeah, like that. It was- Where they're just hanging out, and he, like, climbs in a attic window or some shit yeah you mean you mean the horror movie scene where liam neeson destroys about eight pinball machines before my right. eyes that are probably now like worth like millions of dollars a piece yeah it was really well executed and I, I liked the morality of his character too where he wasn't just taking over to everybody he was only going after the one guy that he felt he had a legitimate beef yeah. with I really appreciate it. Because even, like, one of the mobsters pulls a gun on him, and he just, like, shoots, like Noah said, one of the pinball machines. Yeah. And it's like, see, do I have your, like, you know, do I have your attention now? And everybody's just, you know, laying back down on the floor and stuff. But uh, There is also in this film uh, the super racist depiction of black people. That's not that racist by 1989 <laughs> standards. By 89 standards. But, but let's put it this way. There's three scenes about black people. One is Bill Paxton chiding his singular black friend <laughs> about how bad rap is compared to country music, which that, that yeah. does not age very well. They are both complaining to each other about the music. And then they... Uh, uh, Patrick Swayze lures them into basically a Cabrini Green neighborhood so that their car gets put on blocks and all their tires get stolen in <laughs> the minute and a half that they're out of the car. Well, he paid the people to do that, right? That's the implication. Right. So it's and, not, and it's not course, like your car will just automatically be, that'll happen to you if you go in a black neighborhood. And go, uh, if, if Patrick Swayze was, goes... That was kind of the opinion of those neighborhoods in the 80s. But... But in this movie, Patrick Swayze paid these people to do that to the car. So, and and then they went into 
I don't. Did, did that still exist in the eighties? They basically went into what I think of as the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties black jazz club. That's that is what it seemed like. Yep. <laughs> in which every person in there apparently has a gun. Most of the people. I just thought that was an American thing. Yeah, that's probably true. I guess. Keep in mind that for everyone that lives outside of America, we just assume you all have guns. Like, uh, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Roadhouse. He brings peace to it by letting everyone know that they're just there to, to get information about his brother's death and looking for his brother's friend. We should do a Swayze month at some point. I think I tried to put that together when I first wanted to watch this movie, and it didn't work out. I think the the problem is is that for for as much as I think that Patrick Swayze is a fine actor, mm-hmm. about half of his filmography are movies that I'm like, I am not watching that fucking movie. <laughs> I'm watching uh, what was it like Roller Boogie or whatever the roller skating movie Jesus, he was in in the late seventies. Fucking Christ. <laughs> Alright, let's not go down these paths. Let's talk about the good movie that uh, we're here to talk about. Because weirdly, I've never seen Roadhouse before. That is weird. Which seems like the one I should have seen, and I even own it on DVD. Has Terry Funk? Because, yeah, and because it, weirdly, the DVD... So it's in a well, like Walmart, and they have those $5 bins, and me and my friend Randy were digging through it, and I found a copy of it, and I threw it to him like, here... You need a copy of Roadhouse. I kind of laughed at him for whatever reason. I don't know why I thought it was funny, but and he picked it up and looked at it and looked at the special features. He's like, holy shit, I am going to buy it. And I'm like, what? Why? He's like, look. And he turned it around and showed it to me. For some reason, there is an audio commentary with Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier on it. Yeah, you've told us this before. I know, but it's amazing. You're so excited about it, yet you haven't watched it. <laughs> so. No. But then I'm going to have to watch the movie because I can't watch it with the... Uh, with the commentary until I've seen the movie. I guess. Trust me, you probably can. Oh, am I missing important plot details? No, you won't. <laughs> yeah, so I then bought another copy at another point. All right. Anyways. All right, anything else about uh, Next of Kin? Seem pretty positive across the board on it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fine. I'm hugely positive on it. I think it, I was like a little nervous about it because I remembered liking it, but it's been... Wow, a long, long time, and I'm uh, really impressed with it. I, I like the the pacing of the film. I like the action of the film. I like the characters. I like the performances. Really, just about everything about it is really well done. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what has everybody watched since last episode? Nothing. Awesome. <laughs> really? What about you, Doug? <laughs> well, more than that. Um trying to figure out where i know doug's still on his summer vacation yeah um let's see i finally watched uh oh sorry i was was gonna say while while you were finishing thinking 
Did you guys know that fucking Patrick Swayze was in some kind of adaptation of George and the Dragon? No. I might, I might have to find that. Go, I also go, don't ahead, know what, go ahead, Doug. That is I also a, don't a know random what, fucking thing. Don't know what George and the Dragon is. Yeah. You don't know St. George and the Dragon? St. George and the Dragon's the one where it's the uh, kind of medieval fairy tale-ish where the knight goes out and he fights the dragon and the dragon kills him but he lands in a magic pond and he comes back to life and then he goes out to fight the dragon and the dragon kills him but he's under a magic apple tree and he comes back to life that that story i have no idea i've never heard that before (laughs) apparently you're not interested in fucking european mythology brian (laughs) i don't need nothing from no foreigners what did you watch, Doug? <laughs> well, I was hesitant to discuss the first movie because it was made by a Canadian, technically a foreigner to you. <laughs> God damn it. Taking all of our germs. No, no, it was produced in Canada. I saw Possessor, finally, which is the Cronenberg oh, yeah. film uh, no. that we, uh, I think you recommended it to me, Brian. But, yeah, we had talked about it when we were, when uh, we did, uh, what was it, Antiviral or whatever? Yeah, I don't I don't know why I saw Antiviral and I saw Infinity Pool, but for some reason I just missed Possessor. I think because it came out in 2020 and everything yeah, was no. weird. So yeah, I saw it. Uh, I bought it. I bought it on streaming after yeah. some hearty recommends, and it was cheap enough that I could do a blind buy. And it, uh, I mean, it, it's worth it. It's good. Um, yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, it's basically uh, this chick is like. I guess you want to call her like an assassin, which she can project in using like this technology. She can project into other people's brains and take over their bodies and make them go kill people and stuff. And uh, yeah, you're sort of, yeah, you're sort of just jumping in and taking over and then you go do whatever you need to do. And then you're like, all right, give me a, you know, an out or whatever. And they essentially count you down that you're getting ready to leave and they fucking, (laughs) they fucking like kill themselves just like right as they're being pulled out. Yeah. So the idea there being that, yeah, so they can, they can basically do, they can go in and commit these murders and it's, it's all like corporate profit driven. It's not like political assassinations or anything. Um, anyways. Yeah. So then believe it or not, things start to go awry and the two personalities start conflicting with each other and stuff, um, which is a little bit predictable, but I don't care. Because it was awesome, and it was. I found found the drama in the film worked with the character, like and losing control and trying to figure out who had control of the body at different times. And then when the uh, the guy that she was taking control of, when he starts going back to like go after her family, I'm like, that all worked for me. And then just the visuals in this movie are fucking phenomenal, with like. Mm. Yes, the violence. It is a, a Cronenberg film, and it doesn't matter which Cronenberg you're talking about. The violence is always superb. Um, but also just like some of the weird dream stuff and the visualizations of the two bodies like merging and the faces pulling apart and shit. All fucking weird and gross, and I like that. So, <laughs> huge fan of weird and gross. Um yeah, I don't know. It's hard to describe it more. Like, you can get into really specific discussion of it if we wanted, but I liked kind of the, the ending, too, which is, it's really spoilery. You'd have to get way too uh, mm-hmm. way too into it to kind of discuss it, but I did yeah. enjoy it. I liked the idea of a lot of what was going on, it turns out. Like, this is 
semi-spoilery is being manipulated by her boss, and I like the way that it all played out. Um, dark, dark as shit. Like it's <laughs> there's nothing happy about this, but you know, yeah. Yeah, I solid, really liked it too. Yeah. Solid performance by uh, Jennifer Jason Lee as like the evil boss too. I'm like, oh shit! I don't think I've ever seen her do something quite that dark and like <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> so I appreciated that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. High, high recommend if if you're thinking about seeing it or if you've liked any other mm-hmm. Brandon Cronenberg stuff. Yeah, that's the reason I was really excited for Infinity Pool when it was coming out because yeah. I really liked Possessor. I really do feel like Cronenberg has this, sorry, Brandon Cronenberg to be specific, because you can't just throw that name around. He, he did like, I liked antiviral a lot. This is probably better. And infinity pool is probably his best work to date. And that gives me a high hopes. Cause like, imagine doing something better than infinity pool next. Like, yeah, that'd be great. No pressure on the guy, but (laughs) yeah, right. We're going to watch him. Like, Oh, this sucks. Yeah. Let's just be like very good, and we'll be angry at him for it. <laughs> but like, yeah, I've become a Brandon Cronenberg fan. I, I don't know what to tell you. He's, I, I was really hesitant when he started making movies for fear that he would just, he was just an Epo baby, but he's not just that. So <laughs> it's reassuring. It's like, oh shit, he's got actual talent. Can't be mad at him now. Yeah. And he's still, he's got actual talent, and he's able to like. You know, it's his, it's his second movie ever, but he's got Jennifer Jason Lee starring in it. Oh, what a weird coincidence! She also starred in one of his dad's movies. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, probably makes it much easier when you have the same last name. Yeah, well, and, and he's done interviews where he openly admits that like casting directors who worked with his dad will work with him, and he's like, I, they wouldn't have if it weren't for the fact that you know. Mm-hmm. They were doing my dad a solid or whatever, yeah. and that's probably yeah. not true. By the time you get to Infinity War, it's probably the reputation of his first two films that's getting actors involved. Mm-hmm. But still. Yeah. At least he's self-aware about it, which is yeah. all I can really ask for. Yeah. I mean, you can't really blame him for, um, you know, walking through a door that's being held open for him, right? So. Yeah. Uh, and then I can only, I can never watch just one Cronenberg film. So I rewatched Eastern Promises as well this week. Hmm. Because it's one of the David Cronenberg films that I haven't seen in a long time. and It's one that I haven't seen yet. What? Yeah. Again, oh. I own it on DVD. I haven't watched it yet. You own it digitally as well. I watched your copy. <laughs> yeah, I do own it digitally because I bought the DVD. Yes. Okay, I came with it. All right. Um, it's fucking great. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, Vigo Morkinson plays a Russian mobster in London. And the, like, the primary storyline is there's this nurse, and she's of Russian descent. She's English, but she's of Russian descent. And she, a woman comes in, or a girl comes in, and gives birth, and dies giving birth. And they've got this baby, and the baby's going to go into the system and like all that. So she's trying to track down the family of this girl and figure out who this girl is, because she doesn't want the baby dumped into the system. And she ends up like stumbling into all this russian mafia stuff that's going on and like i guess minor spoiler this girl was a sex slave for the russian mafia (laughs) um a minor spoiler of the movie i think you probably could guess it going in um and it's it's one of these ones where it's like the plot isn't exceptional it's just such a well executed film and that it it takes like you know what could just be a standard kind of 
crime drama and elevates it to something much better because of David Cronenberg's storytelling techniques and because of the performances specifically from Viggo Mortensen, but also the surrounding cast. And it's there's a couple of twists that I don't know if you'll see coming, and they're kind of fun. Not it's not necessarily fun. Fun's not the right word, but they're interesting. Yeah. So it's a it's a big recommend. I, I would suggest you watch it before I accidentally spoil it for you. Oh, okay. So that so I even said, like I went in. Obviously, this is not a first time watch for me, and I'm like, I know what's coming, and I was still fully engaged in the movie the entire time. Really enjoyed rewatching it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's always just been like. Um, like, oh, it's a Russian mob movie. Am I in the mood for a Russian mob movie? Nah, probably not. Yeah. So then I'll watch something else. And then, unfortunately, lately, um, I watched Crimes of the Future. Yeah. Which is the David Cronenberg Vigo team up. Yeah. And I was not a big fan of it. I didn't even finish it. So. I liked that yeah. one, too. Yeah. Could not get into it. This is way less art housey if it makes you feel better. Yeah. That's what I figure. But. So. Yeah, oh, sad, I'm sad to hear you didn't like Crimes of the Future. Yeah. This is why I don't listen when you guys talk, because I don't have to learn things like that. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, apparently, that's what else interesting. Because the only other thing I watched is a documentary, which is also a Canadian film, so I only watched Canadian films this week, apparently. Um, Fucking nationalist up there. <laughs> just, just uh, you know. But I went and saw a documentary called Satan Wants You, and it's about uh, the origins of the satanic panic in the 80s, and specifically the book Michelle Remembers, which was a major kickoff point for that, and it delves deep into, is that what it's called, Michelle Remembers, or am I saying that wrong? Do I have their name I don't the book know. Wrong? It doesn't matter. Um, it's it, it delves deep into the relationship between this one woman and her... Um, psychiatrist and the basically that the, they they wrote this book where she recalled being abused by these satanists um and basically so she 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 went into like that kind of therapy where you get your repressed memories mm-hmm. and then they come, came out without oh yeah she spent 14 months like with satanists when she was Oh, yeah. five years old she, or something. She was the case study in false memories. <laughs> yeah. And then they basically wrote this book, became huge celebrities. All of a sudden, all these other cases came out that were very similar. And it turns out uh, it, when they delve into it, it's the whole situation is very fucked up. Like the relationship between those two was not an acceptable relationship between a psychiatrist and a patient. Um, even in the therapy sessions that uh, like what they openly admit to is like weird amounts of like cuddling and stuff. And then like, she was like constantly showing up at his house. Eventually he left his wife and then married her. But this was after they had become like celebrities because they were touring with this book. And it's, it's very, it's very upsetting to watch because you're like, I, they don't, they couldn't get her for an interview, but they have like some of her family members and some of her friends. And some of them are still convinced that she was tortured by Satanists as a child. And some of them are like angry because they say she just made this all up. And a lot of them are like, something 
fucked up happened. Like, that is not normal, what went on between those two. Mm-hmm. But look at how much damage they did to the world and, like, how many other people suffered as a result of their behavior. And, you know, is it all just this psychiatrist who wanted to get famous and thought this was a good way to do it? Or is it, like, is she making things up? Is she manipulating him? Is she a victim of, like... You know, like when she she had been his patient, but then she went back to him after she just had a miscarriage and she was like really depressed or whatever from that. And so like she went back to him looking for attention and that's when she started doing all this stuff about repressed memories. And, you know, like was she just so desperate for somebody to be kind to her that he took advantage of it? And then she just kind of goes down that weird rabbit hole of like, she's making these things up, but she's probably doing it on some kind of subconscious level where she doesn't even know she's really lying. And it's all very strange and twisted. And it involves like, it's fascinating how many people just wanted to believe these stories with no evidence. You know, it's like, like she's saying like, Oh, like, like in order to believe the whole story, you have to believe that she was tortured and had all these injuries. And then that those miraculously were healed. And it's like, Oh, well, wait a minute kind of crossing a line there where it's like it may be maybe something could have happened and maybe it wasn't exactly what she said until she says well yeah then i was miraculously healed and then you're like no then then none of this happened and if none of this happened then why is this psychiatrist playing along as if it did you know and it, it it's a very upsetting story and that whole satanic panic thing is very upsetting to me to start with so yeah i was gonna say does it it cover just sort of the movement as a whole or is it specific i mean obviously they focus on this case a lot it seems like yeah they focus on this one case and then they do delve into like in the second half of the documentary they break into like yeah the effect it had and they talk about like uh, i forget the name of it there's that famous daycare where they like charges yeah. people with like molesting like 19 kids or something and there's like they're like nothing happened <laughs> like this is you know what i mean yeah. and there's all these and they, t- they even talked to some of the other um adult survivors who were like convinced by their psychiatrists that they'd been abused when they never were and how like how it kind of fucked them up where they're like then they realized that this never really happened to me <laughs> it's you know yeah because i was wondering because um you know we hear stories about shit down here in the states all the time but never really heard much of it happening in Canada. I never really, I don't know. I guess I just assumed it was like a America thing because no. we fucked up shit. Well, um, Michelle and but, her doctor were Canadian. This, oh, okay. the, this original case, this is the satanic panic started in Canada. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it spread down to the States. Cause, uh, as I listened to a podcast series called uncover and they do like essentially docu podcast documentaries. Yeah, and a couple of years ago they did one on the Satanic Panic up in Canada, and um, yeah, it was that daycare with all the yeah like nineteen kids or whatever, and then because yeah. the daycare was like run by a family, and they're just like we didn't do anything, we swear, and yeah. it's you know nobody believed them, and of course it ruined them like not only financially but like I think the family kind of broke apart and shit because of it, and then oh, you yeah. find out later like that was all bullshit, and you're like God damn. It. It's it's horrible and it all ties into like the West Memphis three and all that kind of stuff as well. If you if you want to keep digging into it, it's yeah. it's horrific. The, the, like it's it's kind of like a punchline joke now when we say like oh the satanic panic. But even when I was a kid, like I remember being told like 
don't go to that park because there might be a cult there. Like, and yeah. like I look back on it, and it's like, oh, they found like a dead cat. So instead of assuming that there's a fisher in the neighborhood that's killing cats, they're assuming that it's a cult. Uh, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's fascinating how it's fascinating how they just like there were people saying it at the time people going like there's no evidence of this like if if she if somebody's tortured the way that they're describing that leaves physical evidence and that evidence isn't there you know what i mean somebody's yeah. and, and you know the whole even like this whole like this recovering repressed memories like this michelle chick invented it herself is her, her way of doing it and it's like, well, she's not even like she's not even the psychiatrist in this scenario. So a patient comes in and invents a way to discover repressed memories, and you run with it. Like that doesn't even make sense. You know what I mean? Like it's also yeah. very fucked. And then the fact that you run with it to the point of like you're preaching it as gospel to fucking literally to the Pope as well as to the FBI, like trying to act like it matters. Mm-hmm. It's it's so messed up. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, check that out. They get into briefly to like uh, how the same thing is happening today with different conspiracies and how people just believe them with no evidence, and yeah. it's it's pretty upsetting. They actually interview one reporter, and she's like, she's like in a state of depression. She's like, I, it, it's so frustrating because we thought like if we just kept debunking these things and showing that they're not true, that eventually people would understand that it's not true and move on. And people moved on to just believing other ridiculous shit. And it's like nothing I've done with my life matters. And I'm like, Oh, that poor lady. Yeah. <laughs> like I felt so bad for her. So, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and I explained that. I, so I know a person who both thinks that the earth is flat and that space travel cannot be real because space isn't real, mm-hmm. and that there is a Jewish space laser starting forest fires. Yeah, he he believes both of those things equally, and I'm like, but you don't believe in space. It just doesn't like, but that person does not see any problems with that. Uh, I fucking hate everything. It's so frustrating dealing with the world now. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't, I don't know how to like, when you tell people, like, if you're going to make a bold accusation, you have to be prepared to provide evidence to support that. To me, that's just an obvious thing. And there's people who go, no, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't know how to deal with you. Then I don't know how to interact with you. If you don't think saying crazy shit requires good evidence to, to make me believe it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, by the way, uncover season six. Is the Satanic Panic uh, season seven episodes? Yeah. It might be. <laughs> for anybody's interested, I'm I'm googling now. Talk amongst yourselves, but they may have talked to that podcaster. Oh, okay. Interesting. There's definitely they definitely talked to a podcaster, and I'm just mm-hmm. now I'm like I'm now sitting here realizing that they probably didn't put an image of the podcaster up on the uncovered website. So I still don't know, but <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they did. They did talk to a podcaster who had done like a series on this. Oh, well, maybe that was it. So, cause it's, cause uncovers connected through the CBC. So maybe that will, I don't know. If, it could be it. That would make yeah, sense. Might be it. Don't know. Uh, that's the last thing you watched. It is. Yeah. If you guys get a chance to watch it, I'd recommend it. Just make sure you're not in too bad of a mood when you start it. 
Yeah. Um, the only movie I watched is my girlfriend uh, revealed to me she isn't 100% sure she's ever seen The Lost Boys before. What? Yeah, she's like, I'm not big into vampire I, movies. I, I don't am know if terrified of where this conversation is going. If you if you tell me she didn't like The Lost Boys. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> so she was over this weekend, and I'm like, okay, well, let's watch The Lost Boys. And she's like, okay. And we started, and then 10 minutes later, she fell asleep. God damn it. So she still doesn't know if she's ever seen it before. You, you really should have woken her up. Um, I I finished it myself. Well, that's well, she did that thing in the middle where I had to go to the bathroom, so I paused it and got up, and she's like talking to me and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I've just been sitting here watching by myself. She's like, I wasn't sleeping. I'm like, you were snoring. You were definitely sleeping. <laughs> no, I wasn't. And I'm like, all right. And then I went to the bathroom, and I came back, started it up again. Five minutes later, I hear snoring again. I'm like, all right, yeah, she's out. <sighs> Uh, so I rewatched The Lost Boys, <laughs> and it's The Lost Boys, so of course it was great. Did, did you like it this time? Or? Yep. Michael, did you like the movie, Michael? How <laughs> was the movie, Michael? <laughs> My own brother, shit-sucking vampire. You wait till I tell mom. <laughs> it's Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> if you, I'm going to tell mom on you for being a grandmother. <laughs> vampire. <laughs> oh, what? what? Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, so the, good. It's the one problem with San Dimas, oh, the goddamn <laughs> vampire. Santa Carla. <laughs> San Dimas is Bill and Ted. That's that an would awesome be, that would be a gr- That would be a great crossover. <laughs> yeah, I got a problem with it. Oh, yeah, because uh, yeah, Bill gets bitten and he turns into the vampire from, from the Lost Boys. See? It works. Yep. I mean, we already know he can act against himself using whatever. Yeah technology they used to have him talk to himself <laughs> um i did watch ahsoka oh yes i watched that as well i've uh, there's three episodes out i've seen two yeah third one came out while we were getting ready to record so. yeah, that sounds that sounds like a thing i should do at some point yeah yeah I, um, I actually think you should i like it i like it so far it is definitely one that i have not watched rebels yeah. And it seems like it's leaning heavy on that kind of stuff. I don't uh, feel like they go out of their well, way if to If I understand you, Sabine's but... a main character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There, literally, Brian, there is a moment in this show that crosses over with a moment. Like, the same yeah. moment is in Rebels that's... and in this show. Yeah, I've seen the video of the show on the side-by-side, and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is, that's done pretty so well. That's, so what they're doing is they're, like, setting this up to be the direct continuation of Rebels. <laughs> this is, like... Yeah, I've heard it's basically Rebels Season yeah. 5. So I mean, it, yeah, it is. And I was a fan of Rebels, so I'm excited. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like so, the nerd that was, like, all excited because Chopper came back, so I'm like... Yeah. He's the droid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, oh my god, Chopper's in it? Yeah. Okay, he's doing yeah. Chopper shit, man. Yeah. He's like, I'm fine, he's, I'm gonna have to watch this goddamn shit. They're, they're like telling him to fix stuff and he can't find the parts and they have to tell him like, dude, like, it's like he's the child, like, can you look over there? He's like, like yep, I'm down for it. Yeah, I need to watch, uh, I know a channel I subscribe to on YouTube put up like everything you need to know. For Ahsoka, so maybe I need to watch that before I watch the next episode. Yeah, yeah it's probably Chopper's, Chopper's probably my favorite droid. I just like mm. the fact that he's 
a spiteful, exasperated idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple of cool lightsaber battles so far. Yeah. Which not that that has to be the main focus or anything, but, but they've done a good job with the action, which is like mm. important. If they introduced Thrawn yet? No, that's like the, no, like, like they've mentioned that he's coming. Yeah. That's part of the name, plot. Name dropping, but yeah, yeah. It, the, like the main plot is that they're trying, there's bad guys trying to find Thrawn and the good guys are like, well, we should find him first. And, Bringing Sabine in is the whole thing. If we find Thrawn, we might also find Ezra, right? So, I like the characterization of Sabine, though. It does seem like a live-action version of the cartoon character I like. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Well, next week, I feel like we maybe need to do some uh, tangential war movies. Tangential war movies? Yeah, because they're not about... They're not. It's not like a a movie that is set like during a war, but it's sort of dealing with some aftermath. Um, so we're going to be watching Rambo two and uncommon valor. So in your mind, Rambo two is tangentially related to war. Well, I'm saying it's not set during the Vietnam war, I guess, technically. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to another podcast, which apparently I just steal movie ideas from other podcasts at this point. Yeah. Um, but they were talking about this movie called Uncommon Valor, which is Gene Hackman rounding up a group of veterans to go because he thinks he's figured out where some uh, some POWs are being kept in Vietnam. Really? And so he rounds up sort of like a, a team and they go over trying to rescue these POWs because, of course, the government won't do nothing. Um, and it sounded really interesting and... For a role like that for Gene Hackman, I'm very curious to watch that movie. I'm suddenly very curious too because yeah. I've never, I, I did not know what Uncommon Valor was. So I, like when I saw yeah. it on the list, I was worried we were doing more like a, more Chuck Norris or something. No, no. And uh, in when they were talking about it, they're like, "Yeah, so it's sort of like the plot of Rambo 2. And I'm like, "Cool, I got both the movies. I can team up to as an excuse to watch it on the podcast." So thus, next next week's episode was born. Oh, and Patrick Swayze is in it. We have our secondary theme. Is he really? Yeah. Like, are Holy you being shit. serious? I just, like, I, having never heard of Uncommon Valor until right now, looked it up, and I'm super excited. So Gene Hackman, yeah. Patrick Swayze, Robert Stack, <laughs> Fred Ward, Reb Brown, Tex Cobb. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, guess what? I guess this officially makes it Swayze September. It's I guess. So we've got to find two more Swayze movies to do for the rest of the month. All right. Well, <laughs> listeners write in because we will we'll forget and not do it if someone yeah. doesn't. Well, you guys just volunteered to watch that goddamn dragon movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we could do uh, Roadhouse. Yeah, so. Roadhouse. Yeah. A little nervous about this dragon movie, but what are we? We'll have to find something to team it up with, I guess. Listen, <laughs> it's a it's a made for TV movie, and Patrick Swayze plays the knight Garth. Party on, Wayne. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <sighs> uh, man, I don't know about that. The funny thing is, I didn't. I either forgot or didn't realize Swayze was in Uncommon Valor. 
Yeah. In my head, I'm like, well, should I go with those movies or should I come up with an excuse to do Swayze September? Turns out it just works itself out. Yeah, it's not it's not up to us at this point. Yeah. There's, there's a higher like, there's a higher power trying to insist that we because <laughs> you know we used to do Slater September, but I feel like we've watched probably all the all the movies of Christian Slater that are probably worth watching. Yeah, we, we got really and, and a, less and a few that aren't. <laughs> exactly. Maybe there's some hidden gems, but I don't know if it's worth swimming through the rest to try to find them. So this year it's going to be Swayze September, and it seems like that's a perfectly rational thing to do. And the universe has told us we have to. So it's yeah, okay. the universe decided. We don't have to worry about whether it's rational or not. Yeah. Well, bummer. Are you gonna? Are you feeling like you're gonna miss out, Noah, with this movie? I don't know. I, I, I know I've seen that movie before, and I don't recall it, so I'm guessing I don't like it that much. <laughs> okay. I might just watch Rambo two to watch Rambo two. Yeah, there's that too. Rambo two is its own beast. I'm trying to remember if I've seen Rambo two. I'm sure I have when I was younger and just don't remember because two and three probably like melted together in my brain. How but, can they? One takes place in the jungle and one takes place in the desert. They're totally different movies. I don't, movies. Know. I don't totally know. different movies. I don't know. I just know he has a bow and arrow and shit blows up. That's all yeah, who does it ever? Rambo two, the first blood again. It's officially, it was originally released as Rambo First Blood Part 2. Yeah. But that title was just too long for the 80s, so they just started calling it Rambo 2, and everybody went, fine, whatever. Rambo Plus First, second, first Blood Part 2. Blood. <laughs> Might as well, the last one was called Last Blood, so. Rambo, some additional blood. <laughs> Maybe I'll rewatch 4 this week, too. Four was such a fun movie. Is that yeah, the one where so they're in uh, Burma? Up. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's just him, just like as a crotchety old Rambo, and then he has to, one of the Christian missionaries get kidnapped. He has, God damn it, and he has to like pull out the bow and arrow and blow shit up again. I just remember there's that scene where he's on a 50 cal unloading, yeah. and it like shows what it looks like when somebody gets hit with a 50 cal. Especially when they're like a foot away from the gun. <laughs> like he just turns it to the front seat and just unloads. Oh, man. Oh, God, that made, makes me happy. Just yeah. the whole idea of it. Thank you. Thank you, Stallone. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.